Welcome to the Top Order Podcast. I'm here with Lippy Baldy and New Zealand's answer to the universe boss Raj Reddy sitting over there in his Oakleys at 7.30 this Sunday night to record a jam-packed episode of the Top Order Podcast. Say that every single week, but this week really is a bumper edition. We've got to talk about the IPL and the permutations there. We're going to talk about Shields, both Plunkett and Sheffield, life in the various bubbles, cricket South Africa turmoil and a whole host more all coming up on this very lengthy I would imagine episode of the Top Order podcast stay tuned Bordis I'm going to come to you first the turmoil in South Africa is continuing the board having just stood down what's the goss well I think it's effectively reached a climax this uh, administrative uh, conflagration in, in cricket South Africa the board is now all effectively all resigned. So all of the members of the board, including the president, have now resigned. It, they're in the throes of being replaced. Of course, they've got a tour coming up uh, very shortly. So that's um, not in jeopardy at this stage. But you would think that Cricket South Africa would want to have their house in order before uh, an international side arrives on their shores. It looks like at this stage that the South African Sport uh, Committee and Olympic thing, SASCOC, they'll stay out of it for now. Um, they've got what they wanted effectively for, for, for South Africans cricket's board to step down. But this is going to take a long time in terms of rebuilding the relationship with the Players Association, re- rebuilding the relationships with the various uh, provinces around South Africa to get cricket back in order. SASCOC have said they want quick results. They want to see Cricket South Africa brought back into order quickly and, and see results quickly, which to me is a, a little bit of a fly in the ointment. Has there been anything come out about that? that investigation yet of do we know what actually happened and who's been doing the wrong thing it's interesting there's been very little press coverage in terms of from what i've read on the details of the report and any of the ramifications of that we're now starting to see it i think with all of the board members in cricket south africa so everyone's been tarred with the same brush effectively yeah. here um stepping down and then the whole board will effectively be replaced both the independent and the provincial the cricket associated members are being replaced in one go so you're right. That's one of the the highest guarded secrets, I think. That that report. Um, I read that there was only four or five people who had seen it up until this point, and now with the new board coming in, I think they will be the the first to see it wow. uh, in all its glory. But I think that uh, Sascock has been actually really. They have they have governed really well. I think that installing people like Harun Lugart, the ex CEO of of the ICC, shows that they are aware of the the situation and the politics taking over. I think they've done a good job. The only thing that that concerns me about the process so far is the expectation on on quick results and on on turning around cricket South Africa quickly. All, on the field, it's a different story. Like the the players will remain largely the same. The tournament formats, etc., will remain largely the same. The thing that will take time to rebuild is the relationship with the Players Association that's been fractured for a long time now, and also the relationship between the administration at a central level and potentially the administration in the provinces. We all know that South African sport is a, a tricky um, uh, river to, to navigate in, in terms of the political situation, so it's really remains to be seen what that board can do to, to galvanise Cricket South Africa together, because if they can... South African cricket is a powerhouse. If they're divided, they're going to see more and more players you know, leave South Africa to pursue opportunities elsewhere. You're 100% right. They can't sweep what they find in this report under the rug. 
It's been done before. There's been reports like this before. I think the latest one in 2012. In that report, they said that they wanted independent people on the board of, of South Africa, Cricket South Africa. Uh, they didn't do that. Uh, so I think they're, they're taking steps in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, they've got, they've had non-independent board members up to this point now, um, as well as independent directors. All the independent directors have also resigned. So they really need to look at that cricket structure and that, and that whole board structure, and this is a great opportunity to do that. Let's hope that the ICC don't have to step in um, and administer South African cricket and they, they can get their, their play back on the field. The, the good thing, I think, with this, though, is you've got a guy like uh, Haroon Lorgat coming back in who's had some experience obviously with cricket south africa before he's been involved with the icc where he didn't really get to do a lot because you're kind of a little bit toothless to an extent because you're governed almost by the bcci the ecb and the cricket australia guys when you're on that sort of icc chief executive role and um, the other thing is that cricket in general is in a little bit of crisis at the moment with covid and you know sponsors and all the kind of things that they've actually got to deal with so to an extent, the fact that they're coming into this situation and they're going to have to navigate what that means, it's not like they're sort of dealing with the existing sponsors, the existing tours, the existing series that are going to be played. They're almost going to be able to come in and look at the on-the-field stuff, um, and that's going to help them, I think, rebuild those relationships with the sponsors and, and the, the trust of the public as well. Yeah, let's hope so, and they've just announced this week their summer schedule, so it looks like they'll have a full schedule against England, starting in November through December with some T20s and, and ODIs. Uh, Sri Lanka playing tests uh, in December and then Australia playing three test matches next February to March and then Pakistan playing three ODIs and three T20s in April. So it looks like hopefully South Africa will have a full calendar of cricket and that will give them an opportunity to try and sort out that off-the-field stuff. You mentioned those challenges, Binksy. That's probably a good point to to move on to the bubbles. You You want to run us through what's been happening? There's been a lot of bubble chat this week. Yeah, so look, I guess this has been more and more. Joffre Archer, I think, has said he can't wait to get out of the bubble. He's been in um, various bubbles for a pretty decent period of time, notwithstanding his little diversion to his flat in Brighton, which seems a long, long time ago, back in the summer. But also you've got the likes of Steve Smith playing. There's no chance that he plays in the BBL. You've got A.B. de Villiers, I think, has pulled out, potentially, of playing in the BBL as well. Um, and I think you're going to have a number of people that are going to now have to start to look at the effect that the bubble is having on them in terms of what tournaments they can play when, you know, historically, these guys have been quite happy to be 320 days away from home when they can move around the world freely and go and play in these big high-profile tournaments as well as international cricket. But now that mental piece taking its toll. And we're really lucky that we've got an interview with Jamie Barker, um, eminent sports psychologist coming up where we talked a lot about the I guess the mechanics of being in that bubble and how it can affect certain players so that's going to come out in a very timely fashion into the field a little bit later this week as well yeah, and we, we definitely touched on it uh, before the IPL started we were saying the IPL window is there and then that goes straight into the big bash which goes through to almost February or maybe in February I think so you're going to have people who start picking and choosing do you think these sort of uh, these statements that have been made over the last week have sent some real palpitations through Cricket Australia and the broadcasters, I guess. Well, and that's the thing. It's the broadcasters and the sponsors, isn't it, Border? Absolutely. Cricket Australia are already in a spat with Channel 7 over the value of the Big Bash League this summer. They've, they've been, Cricket Australia have been marketing it as a marquee tournament. Lots of international players that are Australian will be available to play because they've got the window there. I think what we're going to see 
And we've seen it even with state cricketers. Jake Weatherall withdrew from state cricket this uh, this week, citing reasons that he wanted to take a step away from cricket for personal reasons. I think we're going to see more and more of it. It's going to test the depth of all of these cricket um, cricket teams in terms of who they can get and, and maintain in these bubbles. The international guys are going to be affected the most because they're the, they're the most in demand. And they're going to have to pick and choose when they make themselves available for tournaments. And let's hope that we can get a schedule that allows them to play for their countries first and foremost, but also get some marquee tournaments like the Big Bash, like the IPL in. Oh, and, and exactly. And I mean, you think about when that first uh, West Indies, Pakistan, England sort of bubbles, and, and it seemed like such a great idea and it's gone so well. It, you know, from the outside, it looked like it had gone fantastically well. But now we're starting to see this happen over and over and over again. You mentioned, uh, I read Mitchell Stark, who, you know, isn't even in the IPL, he went from the Australia tour, went over to to the UK, played those games. He's come back. He's quarantined in Adelaide now and is in the Sheffield Shield. He's only spent 30 hours at his house since August, and he hasn't even been at the IPL, you know? So it, it's going to be – there's just huge ramifications everywhere. You've started to hear some of the talk as well about what it's been like in the various environments. So, you know, the English summer, yes, appeared to go really, really successfully, but already – you're now hearing the players talk a little bit more openly about the fact that, you know, when they were at Old Trafford, they didn't have, like they did at the Aegeus Bowl, the kind of golf course to go and walk out on. At the IPL, they've got these beach resorts where their families are there as well. So that's slightly different again. And each country is obviously going to impose different restrictions. So I think you're going to see that kind of almost pick and choose in terms of looking after your family's safety, whether they can be with you as well. And to be honest, the quality of the environment that you're going to be in when you're in that bubble you're not really going to want to be in a travel lodge attached to a cricket ground and just see a cricket ground for eight weeks when you could potentially be at, you know, the seven star hotel in Dubai with a, you know, a beach and your family there as well. So I think you'll see some picking of specific bubbles. Um, And as we go to where the UK have just gone back into lockdown as well, which I don't think is going to be great for um, those England boys trying to get on a plane to South Africa as well, because they're going to be, confined to barracks i think uh, for four weeks starting on thursday next week so raj what's your this week in cricket on the show tonight mr boss yeah no i wanted to do a little uh, southeast asian rap um a couple of things i want to talk about there so firstly pakistan zimbabwe tour has just started so that's a three one day and three 2020 series first game has happened pakistan won it by 30 runs great performances by Zimbabwe batting in particular, and the death bowling from the from the Zimba, uh, from the Pakistanis. Brendan Taylor with a great 112 really carried that side through to almost winning that game. I guess what I wanted to pick up here, and I'm going to throw to Baldy, is around why these series are actually important uh, to the World Cup. So bilateral series take on a special importance between now and the 2023 one-day cricket world cup hosted in india but it's a 10-team world cup and everyone other than india has to qualify for the tournament so gone are the days where the full test playing nations got special exemption and qualified for the tournament automatically so all bilateral odi series between now and the 2023 world cup actually mean something in the context of what they call the super league so the 12 full members and the netherlands are effectively competing for seven spots india are guaranteed to 
participate in the tournament as the hosts, but the top ten, the top seven teams out of that Super League will also qualify first or qualify directly into the 2023 One Day Cricket World Cup. The bottom five teams will go into a repercharge against the teams from League Two, so Nepal, Scotland, UAE, and then a whole bunch of finishes from League Two in cricket, so the likes of Vanuatu and, and those kind of nations as well. So they all play off in a series of repercharge games, but... For, for teams like Pakistan and Zimbabwe in particular, all of these series mean something because they are a stepping stone to automatic qualification for the World Cup. And you would think that Zimbabwe will be one of those teams that may not make that top eight. So every point that they can jag in these, in these series helps them on, on another step towards the World Cup in 2023. Awesome. Thanks, Morty. And I guess the other thing I wanted to point out um, around Pakistanis was around... Wazim Khan, and, and he's been in the media in the last couple of days talking about getting an extension to his three-year deal. So his his uh, he still has a year to run on that. Uh, it ends around this time next year. Uh, he has been offered another three-year extension uh, by the board, but uh, he's actually going to consider that for a while. He has some things to think about around his family who have moved back to the UK and just how you know the political sort of turmoil that's gone on in, in Pakistan for the last couple of years. I personally think he's done a great job getting cricket back to Pakistan, that that's an incredibly uh, massive achievement that we can't look past, and also the restructuring of the domestic game to free up some more money as well has been really good. Yeah, Pakistan cricket has gone from strength to strength in the last little while. They were able to participate early in the resumption of cricket in the series against England that I think was fantastic for cricket worldwide. He's done a really good job of, of galvanising the various you know parties around Pakistan cricket together and getting them pushing in the right direction. And there's no better result than seeing cricket being played in Pakistan again. The second ODI has just kicked off now, the first over being bowled. But it's just great to see games in Royal Pindi and, and places like that in Pakistan. It's, it's wonderful to see. Yeah, look, I guess there's a part of him that's going to want to see that through and see all of those changes actually come to fruition and really make a massive amount of impact. But I think to you know another extent, he's probably improved his stock as a cricketing administrator um, of real, real talent. And you know what the position he's put Pakistan cricket in now. If someone comes in and implements some of those, you know, those blueprints and takes that side to success, his fingerprints are going to be all over it as well. So. Um, look, I think either way, it's you know a success uh, for him, but I'm sure Pakistan cricket will be really keen to try and keep him on board to see that. I think that's the thing, isn't it? If he if he does depart, how much do they lose? Because it seems like a lot of those personal relationships that he's had have have made a real impact in getting all the stuff done. I really hope because, as you said, it's been great for cricket. It's been great for Pakistan cricket. All the reports that we've had, you know, even just talking to Colin Monroe about people going to Pakistan and playing games there. It seems like the players are, are feeling more comfortable about going there and playing there. So it would be a shame for them to now have to step back and, and suddenly you know not be able to do that because Wazim has left. So yeah, fingers crossed that either he stays on and sees that through or they don't lose anything. Yeah, and look, definitely go back into our podcast feed and listen to the interview that we did with him. Um, yeah, I'm a little bit biased because he played at my home club as a boy and um, yeah, kind of knew him reasonably well back then, but... Honestly, it was a brilliant hour-long chat with him about his career and, and what he's done in that first little tenure at Pakistan. 
um, cricket. We should just say women's big bash underway in Australia. It's pretty damp over there at the moment, though, Baldy. It's been real wet in Sydney the last couple of weeks. It's been hard to get cricket games on. Lots of no results, lots of rain-affected matches. But um, it's great to see women's big bash standalone tournament running for the next month or so. Once we've got a little bit more cricket being played, we'll cover that in a lot more detail. But uh, the Brisbane Heat women are looking are looking pretty strong at the moment. And uh, lots of international players from New Zealand, South Africa and England taking part in the tournament. It's great to see. One thing I just did quickly want to cover before we move on to our other segments. There's been a bit of chatter about the Olympics this week, cricket kind of getting back into the Olympics. Do we think that's a, a cool th- idea? Would we like to see that? Well, it's going to be very interesting to see the non-traditional Olympic powerhouses not get a medal. So China, Russia and the United States aren't going to win a medal in cricket. <laughs> I, I reckon if they do get cricket in, United States are someone I'd have a bit of coin mm. on to win one in the next 30 years, I reckon. Mm. 30 years, a bit of, that's, that's a bit of rope. All, Look, right. I, all right, I'll give you the next <laughs> three Olympics then. Okay, good. To yeah. win a medal in the next three Olympics? In, in cricket, yes. Okay, we're definitely keeping this on the podcast. We'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get if the we're terms... Still, We'll get the terms uh, later down the line. But, yeah, if we're still in podcasting business in 2040, then, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll all be doing pretty well, I think. Do you want it in the Olympics or not, Adam? Why not? We've had basketball in the Olympics. We've had team sports in the Olympics. I think it would be a great platform for the game. I don't know what format would be best. Are, are they talking about 2020 or are they talking about 1010? Yeah, so, uh, look, why not? You know, we've got all kinds of team sports Beach volleyball has been great to watch um, at various Olympics. I, I Look, I, I think it would be a really, really good advert for the game. Yeah, uh, Colin Munro, when we spoke to him, he said that there was space for that innovation. And you guys know I love a little bit of innovation, but I am, am staunchly against cricket being in the Olympics. I don't think any of those, those sports should be in the Olympics. It's, it's a very traditional thing. They should be wrestling naked still, yeah, in my I, opinion. I, I, I think I'm on your wagon, really. I, it... it to me, anything that's not the pinnacle of their sport, I, I have a hard time actually kind of watching it and caring about it at, at those events. You know, you think of even something like tennis or, you know, football. even even football, football in particular, those things that aren't the pinnacle, you know, what what do I care what do I care if someone wins gold medal? It's if it's not the greatest event of that that thing. I think the Cricket World Cup and, you know, all these high profile test series are still gonna be more important than you know, some T20 tournament in the or T10 tournament in, in the Olympics? I think the Olympic cricket will will depend very heavily on how it's structured in terms of player availability and scheduling. We see that basketball, up until 1992, suffered tremendously from, from only amateurs being able to play. Um, football is still structured around the under-23 model with some, some over-23 players being allowed. So it will really depend on who's able to go that will determine how high profile it is in terms of its Olympic reach. I think it will be fantastic for cricket in terms of increasing the participation in other countries and the profile for the sport, but as a spectacle on par with the World Cup or a T20 World Cup or whatever, it will very much depend on whether or not players make themselves available, as we've just touched on. Yeah, look, before we wrap up, I just guess I just want to make my argument for why I think it should be there. Go for it. And that, that is simply that at the moment, we talk about football, we talk about basketball to a certain extent. We've got World Cups where there are hundreds and hundreds of teams who get the ability to qualify and play in those world tournaments. Um, cricket really is still a little bit of a closed shop. We've just talked about the format of the upcoming World Cup 
with you know India having already qualified and then it's a foot race between really 10 or 11 sides to get in the Olympics will give a platform for some of those countries and I'm thinking of the likes of Afghanistan I'm talking about the USA if they want to um, throw their hat um, into the ring and teams will invest money in it mm. in terms of wanting to win an Olympic gold so I think that that will just make cricket a truly global game and will feed into those other tournaments. So for me, wh why not? If we don't have to watch it if you don't want to watch it. I mean, I guess my counter-argument to that is is exactly what you're saying. Uh, you know, Afghanistan, Ireland, if they have to choose between playing a test series and playing uh, in the World Cup, oh, sorry, in the Olympics, surely the, the test series is something that has more prestige to it and something that they would prefer to play. And if that conflicted with the Olympics, does that mean that they're sending their second side or their third side or any of these teams that we're talking about, Australia, New Zealand, they're sending their under-23 side? Do you, is that really a good reflection on the game? I think that's going to be the thing, isn't it? It's going to be a, a, a situation where potentially it's great to promote the game and get people involved. As a spectacle, as you said, maybe it's not something that we diehard cricket fans care about, but potentially it's a great platform to get cricket out there, get you know, put put eyes on the game, and then you know, hopefully that that then leads to people caring about it in other sports or in other formats of the game and, and moving it moving it up. Well, look, I think we've probably exhausted that for this evening. We are going to move on to the business end of the podcast, so we will be back after the break. We're going to talk about the shields, and we're also going to talk about the IPL, which is really hotting up. Back after the swish. Welcome back to the podcast. If you've been tuning into the feed, you'll have seen previews of the Plunkett Shield with captains and notable players from all the provinces bar CD, who we are hoping to get on the podcast in the next week or so. But how's it going so far in the Plunkett Shield, Lippy? So we've had two rounds uh, at this point, and, and Canterbury and Auckland are two from two. We've got CD and ND one and one, and, and Wellington and Otago 0 for two. I think probably, you know, we could talk around the actual games if, if we wanted to, but probably the biggest thing for me so far that I've noticed is kind of the standout performances in that level below, you know, the sort of New Zealand A and, and the fringe guys it's it's been very very strong and and they're making it they're going to make these selections really really tough i mean i saw um i saw the icc post something today about kyle jameson so he's you know he's probably been the standout performer so far he's taken 15 wickets in two games two five for a hat trick you know i think that that hat trick's done the rounds and incredible seeming delivery to to take that hat trick at the top of off stump bridge million you know you know every leave Every leave that you get bowled is not a good one, but you know you could probably excuse that one to to some degree. That was a pretty good delivery to get him out to get that hat trick. And Jamison will be high five in the groundsman because he's got just enough water in those stump holes to make it cartwheel really <laughs> oh, nicely, hasn't he? It was fantastic. But I mean, the that ICC post that I referred to, it basically said, you know, Kyle Jamison, how's he going to go? You know, he's had a great start to the Plunkett Shield. How's he going to go in the Test series against the West Indies? But you know. Uh, is that a question? Is he actually in that side? I, I, I mean, you would think that he's performed extremely well against India, but our three bowlers, are, our three seamers are Southie, Bolt and Wagner. Well, and at the moment, we're not really going to need expanded squads in New Zealand. The West Indies must be kind of looking forward to the fact, after spending a few weeks cooped up in England, that they're essentially, once they're through their quarantine here in New Zealand, 
they're going to be able to get out to the you know, the beach and the, the watering holes of, of New Zealand throughout the course of the tour. Are they going to be able to do that or do they still have to say maintain some kind of... Nah, I so they they can just go about their business. That's and, awesome, mate. Yeah, it's really, really, really good. But, yeah, so Jameson, I mean, you know, where where do we see him slotting in? How, you know, does it mean that he is essentially fighting against, you know, AJ's Patel? Is he, is, or do we just play no spinner in New Zealand? Do we then... Or, or is he actually, you know, up against some kind of Colin de Granholm spot? Yeah, for me, I think that he, he plays instead of a spinner. I think we've we've looked back at the stats over the last two years. We've spoken about it before. Not great for spin bowlers. But then you have the other side of that coin. When we talk to Deepak and that range of New Zealand spinners that they weren't getting put in the right sort of uh, opportunities to, to take wickets. But his performances, combined with... Uh, Southie and Wagner, who are also bowling really well, mm. and Bolt doing his thing in the IPL, you can't really can't really fault any of them. Oh, it's exciting, isn't it? I mean, and Lockie, you know, we we talked about Lockie in our last podcast about the IPL. He's he's performing well. The the, the stocks in New Zealand seam bowling are very strong. They've never been better, I don't think, in terms of depth of New Zealand bowlers. They've never been better. Yeah, look, it's a really nice problem to have, isn't it? And I, I guess you know you've alluded to it already. I think the decks might suit leaving your spinner out in New Zealand. The other question maybe is, is there some rotation of those seamers? You know, so can Jameson come in for a Wagner, for example, and provide that kind of hit? Well, there are only two two test series and we've only got four. So, you know. I'm talking more about the next 12 to 18 months, particularly if you're going to have to go into these bubbles, you're going to have players, you know, choosing and opting to go to different places at different times. So, you know, are they taking a real forward look potentially or are they just going to, um, at the moment, say, well, do you know what? We're, you know, relatively um, COVID-free here in New Zealand from a freedoms perspective right now. We're just going to put our best sides on the park for this summer or are they having half an eye on that future? What will be interesting is whether or not they start splitting their squad between white ball and red ball because all those guys we've talked about are probably first option red ball bowlers. Um, Trent Bolt's probably the best of the white ball options for New Zealand and Lockie Ferguson. So you'd think they'd play a lot of white ball cricket too. But if you ask Trent Bolt, I'm sure he'd have test cricket at the top of his tree. So it will be really interesting to see what the balance is between red ball and white ball cricket. Well, what's exciting for New Zealand that we haven't seen in recent years, and and it's come about because of COVID and and because these other teams that are coming here are bringing bigger squads, is we're going to have New Zealand A games going on at the same time as the internationals. So, you know, even if someone like Jamison isn't in, in the squad, if he's the 12th man or something like that, we're going to get to see him, you know, play. It's not test level, but it's it's the next the next best thing, and and we're going to get to see that. and And I think the the competition is kind of hot, hotting up for all of those spots, and it's it's going to test the depth of our provincial squads, but it's going to introduce a lot of New Zealand cricketers to that kind of next level, and and really, I, I guess, put them in, put them against each other, which is really really nice. No surprise after two run after two rounds, who's topping the run charts for domestic cricket in New Zealand? Well, is it Devon Conway? One hundred percent. I um I did see Joe Carter got one hundred and forty six and and fifty odd in in um for ND in their last game. So that's two hundred and in one innings, which is, or one game, which is pretty. pretty yeah, good. Joe Carter's got two twenty six, and Devon Conway's just tipped him after two rounds, got two thirty three. So uh, even though he hasn't got a hundred yet, Devon Conway, he's still at the top of the run charts after two rounds. And amazing, and you know you consider that Wellington's been bowled out for pretty low scores in, in all of their games. The fact that he's still doing that, I mean, you know, there was a big article the other day about 
uh, Conway and and Young, Will Young, essentially being kind of the the next cabs off the rank for for the New Zealand batters. Um, you know, that's going to be another massive watch this summer. I, I guess how they introduce Conway because it it feels like it's a matter of time till he plays for New Zealand. But another name that's that started the season well, Daryl Mitchell. I mean, I I feel like he. I mean, what do you guys think? But I, I would say he's almost. You know, if he continues this form with the bat as well, does he come into consideration as just a batsman? I feel like the way he's looking at, he's being looked at at the moment is kind of competing against De Gronholm maybe for that all-rounder spot. But yeah, you know, if he he played in that test, the one test he has played against England, looked very comfortable, scored seventy odd. Should he, you know, should he also be in this conversation for for New Zealand batting? Hundred percent, he should be in the conversation. Uh, I, but I, I, I'm going to sort of pigeonhole him to that Colin de Grandhomme all rounder spot. I don't think that. I think that there's too much talent in that batting lineup at the moment who have delivered over the last few years. With someone like Devin Conway trying to break into it, I think that Mitchell's got to be behind those for me at this stage. Genuine question: How many spots in that batting order in the top six do you think are genuinely up for grabs going into this test series that the selectors would think of considering someone other than the incumbent? Oh, I mean, if if we're if we're not talking about injury, I honestly think that that top six, potentially even Degrandholm, is set in stone. Um, I you know I think Nichols is is probably the one that's under the most pressure if you look at his last twelve months. But before then, he was one of the world's best performing batsmen. So, you know, I think that they're going to give him a little bit more rope. And I guess the other one potentially is Blundell. But again, you know, not that long ago that he scored 100 at the MCG, he performed relatively, you know, sort of did enough in that in that home summer as well. So, yeah, I mean, we've just talked about the New Zealand bowlers. The New Zealand batting stocks have probably never been this strong either. But, um, you know, it's I guess we, we're in this situation where we feel like we've got this awesome side and then we look back to, to what happened when we went to Australia and we got absolutely pants. So, you know, trying to reconcile those things as a New Zealand fan is actually quite tricky. I actually feel like uh, Devin Conway is is due a shot in that, in that lineup. I think that Henry Nichols, like you said, he has, he has been batting really well, but there has been a, a slight slump in that towards the end of the last few series that he's had. Um, I, th- I would love to see Conway uh, and what he can do on the international stage. Yeah, and I think it kind of has memories for me of Graham Hick when he was doing his qualification for England way back in the 90s. And Hick had to wait a long, long time. So I think he had to qualify for seven years. And there was sort of three or four years almost of wait, whereas with Conway, it's been a much shorter period. So I, I think almost you've got to get him off the rank as a, as a cab at this stage. Otherwise, you might be in a situation where he's just kind of waiting too long and and burns out a little bit. But you mentioned Australia. It's a good segue to move on to the other shield. Baldy, Will Pekofsky. The young man keeps delivering runs and spades. He's an absolute run-making machine. A record partnership in the Sheffield Shield this week. Uh, Victoria, of course, having to do extra quarantine to get into the Sheffield Shield. So they missed out on round one, played South Australia in one of the regional grounds, so all of the Shield being played at the moment in South Australia, early doors. But uh, none for 486, Victoria, in reply to South Australia's 200 all-out. 
earlier today before Marcus Harris was dismissed, having made 226. So that 486-run partnership now sets a record for the Sheffield Shield, previously held by the War Brothers in 1990. So a hell of an innings from the young man, Will Pukowski. He started out like a house on fire. But Marcus Harris as well, I mean, he was up until the middle of the Ashes series last year, was the incumbent opening batsman alongside David Warner. So like New Zealand, Australia have got a lot of guys who are on the cusp of being selected for that Australian test squad who are really putting their hand up and saying, pick me, pick me, pick me. Unlike New Zealand, I feel like we've got three spots still up for grabs in our batting order. I think Smith, Warner and Labuschagne are locked in. The other three are somewhat up for grabs. Uh, Joe Burns' leash has just got incredibly short in terms of his uh, tenure on the on the other opening bat spot. He scored a, a 97 at the Gabba in that opening test of the summer against Pakistan and hasn't delivered to his high standards yet and has had a quiet start in the Sheffield Shield by comparison. And some of these other guys are, are really, really putting a strong case forward to be picked in that squad to play India in the first test. Uh, can I... Uh, are we drawing a long bow to say... It's interesting that Will Pukowski has opened the batting here. How much opening has he done in his career? Uh, from my memory, not a lot. So whenever yeah. he's batted for Victoria, he's batted three. in the top three or yeah. four, but I don't remember him opening the batting. I can't stretch my memory far back enough to remember his under-19 scores or anything like that, but he's a top-order bat. I don't remember him having opened the batting, but they've got a hell of a strong batting lineup, Victoria, when you start to look at it. But do you think that's sort of a, like, if you're going to be playing international level, you're going to be batting, opening the batting? Let's see what you can do. It sounds that way. I mean, it certainly looks like Victoria are positioning him in, him in that way. They've got Nick Maddinson in their side who, over the last two years, has been one of the leading run scorers in Shield cricket as well. He's been in tremendous form over the last two years. He was an opening bat when he was playing for New South Wales and opened the batting earlier in his career, but now batting at four for Victoria. So Australia are flush with guys who are on the cusp of being able to be selected for test level. But Travis Head's got 171. Matt Wade's only had one bat and has made 83 not out. So it's not like any of these guys other than Burns potentially have had a quiet start to the summer. And do, do you think J- Justin Lang, what do you think Justin Langer's level of, you know, I'm going to stick with my guys is compared to these guys are just performing the house down. I'm going to get them in. I think Justin Langer will include Will Pukowski and Cameron Green in his test squad this summer. He'll, I think he'll pick a slightly larger squad and he'll have those guys in that test squad for a period of time but I don't think he'll play them in this test summer. I think he'll keep them on ice. Remembering that Pukowski's 22 and Cameron Green's only 21, and Cameron Green's only started bowling again after having 18 months without bowling um, You know, in this last Shield game that he started bowling again. So I think naming Cameron Green already in the one-day squad uh, to play India, that 18-man one-day squad, is a step in the right direction. I would like to see personally, I would like to see those guys included in the Australian squad for a tour just to get them in and around the setup and see what it's all about. Will Pukowski's been on tours with Australia before, um, but given that they're only 21 or 22, it's a big se- a big series against India in terms of the Test Championship. It's a big home series in terms of the return to cricket. None of those guys have really done anything wrong to warrant being dropped yet, so mm. I would have them in that squad, but I don't necessarily think I would throw them in against India uh, under fire unless the series is already decided. And you mentioned Cameron Green there before. I mean, you, you've talked about him before as kind of the next big thing. I saw a quote. I'll just read out to you what Justin Langer said about Cameron Green. He said uh, they were kind of talking about, you know, the, the massive expectations that people are kind of throwing out there. And he says, that's the hardest part, actually, of playing international cricket, eliminating the distractions. But that's what mental toughness is about. He's going to have. He's not going to have it all at the moment. It's going to be a journey for a long time as him as it is for any young player. 
but this is all part of it. People will say he's the next future captain, he's the next Ben Stokes, he's the next this and the next that, and that's why I tell him not to listen to all of that. If he wants to keep watching the ball, that's all he needs to do. One, I think that's fantastic advice. Like, just watch the next ball, focus on what you're doing. But on the other side, putting him in there with, you know, saying things like the next test captain, the, the next Ben Stokes, who currently has kind of got the, the mantle of the best cricketer in the world, that's pretty. That's a pretty massive rap. Yeah, Greg Chappell described him this week as the best batsman he's seen since Ricky Ponting. So Jeez. there are lots of big raps on the kid. Alan Border had big raps on him as well. I think having him in the Australian squad will take him back a peg, a peg or two just be, to be around guys like Smith, to be around guys like Warner and, and how they go about their business, just to ha- take like, what it takes to take that step up to test cricket in terms of professionalism, the way he trains, everything like that. He is a prodigious talent, but we have to be really, really careful that we don't overexpose him to the hype too early and, and put all of that expectation on his shoulders. He can bat for long periods of time. We've seen that. He scored 197 and batted for a long period of time in the Shield game already. He's got a, he's got a bright future ahead of him, but I think we just need to manage him in the right way. Yeah, to that extent, having him around the squad, I actually think will help when you're with someone like Langer, when you get to see a Smith and a Labashane go about their business. I think that will really, really help him. And that comment from Langer there, that's brilliant psychology that's awesome. as well. It's really, really good. You know, on one hand, he's dropping those names in there. And on the second hand, he's just saying, watch the next, you know, watch the next ball. Yeah, he's got a bright future, that kid. Oh, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing him. Oh, all, I mean, it, it seems like it's all just starting to come. The I'm starting to get quite excited about this series. I mean, you know. This is a hell of a series. No disrespect to, you know, England, Pakistan and England, West Indies in the bubble. We got some cricket on the TV. This is going to be cracker jack, as uh, yeah. Mark Nicholas would probably say. Oh, I mean, you know, they, and what is it? Four tests. It's four tests, isn't it? I think they're coming here or coming to Australia for. And yeah, I mean, if you believe the Sky ads, it's Virat Kohli versus Australia. <laughs> but it's yeah, what a, what a team! And and I I just want to quickly touch on the India squads before we kind of move on. I um I threw a little comment out there on Reddit the other day after um, Surya Kumar Yadav scored you know 70 odd or whatever it was to to win the game for for mumbai and i sort of i i, I kind of was looking at his his track recording and, and realized that he'd actually never played for india at, at any level he hasn't been picked in these squads i threw it out there on reddit you know kind of can someone explain to me why he's, he's never had it and i got four, there was 40 comments within an hour there was 30 odd likes but after that, the post got actually shut down by Reddit. So I don't know what's going on there. There was a whole wide range of comments. There was some sort of disciplinary suggestions. You know, they were back in 2015. Interesting. There were um, suggestions that, yes, he 100% should be there. But, you know, and there's also suggestions that he hasn't scored enough kind of Ranji Trophy sort of runs, hasn't scored, hasn't taken his opportunity at India A-level. Probably the biggest thing that I wanted to, that I took out of that is... As soon as I started seeing the comments and seeing the other names that he's got to compete against, yeah. oh man, that India, the, the talent, we just talked about New Zealand and we're kind of going, oh, well, what are, what are these amazing New Zealand batsmen? But oh boy, the India, you know, you run through, I run through some of those Indian names. It's just staggering. You know, you, we've got the likes of Sharma, Kohli, all those kind of people, but then there's Rahul, Ayer. Yeah, it's just the, the whole list of names, it's amazing. Well, and in that test squad, Rohit Sharma's missing, obviously, not uh, yeah, injured, I think, um, or carrying a niggle. So I, I'd imagine he'll be on the white ball. He is, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, yeah, the ones I've got down here, Agarwal, 
you know, Shubman Gill, Prithvi Shaw, who's obviously had a, hasn't had a great IPL, but, you know, looks real talent. Rishabh Pant, Shikadawan, Hardik Pandya, Manish Pandey, Sanju Sampson, Ravi Jadeja, and then, you know, all the Rahane. young talents. Rahane. Yeah, Rahane. Boy, oh boy. And you haven't even mentioned the test specialist. Pajara. Chetiswa Pajara, Pajara yeah. And, and Kale Rahul back in the test squad as well. So they're going to bring a hell of a batting lineup. That, that, that top six is going to be an incredible battle between the Australian pace bowlers and yep. those, those Indian guys. And then the Australian pace bowlers are going to have to deal with Bumrah. It's going to be an incredible test series and one that I'm looking forward to probably as, as much as any India series I've looked forward to in a really long time. Mm. Absolutely. Well, look, we will be waiting for that series with bated breath, but there's a lot of cricket to go on, not in India, but certainly in the Indian Premier League. And we will be back to talk about that in a bit more detail after the swish. So for those regular listeners to the show, you'll know that we did an IPL preview a few weeks ago. We then decided that we needed to do some wrap-up shows so that we could retract a lot of our previews. <laughs> and we're now on the eve of of the final games of the tournament all teams at this stage we're recording this on sunday night new zealand team uh new zealand time i should say having played 13 games chennai super kings the only people out of the race and the mumbai indians the only ones who have qualified for the final so apart from the fact that our predictions could be horribly horribly wrong there's a lot of permutations i'm sure we're going to get a few of them wrong from here on in but Baldy. Can you just explain what the hell is going on with this table? It's all to play for, isn't it? So Royal Challengers, Bangalore and the Delhi Capitals are seven and six at the moment. And we'll talk about their form in more detail as we get into the program. Their last game is against each other. So one of those teams will win that game and will qualify. That's the only prediction I think that we can make sure <laughs> that we get right is one of those teams will win that game. And that team that wins there's will no qualify. Yeah, there's no rain, rain around. <laughs> The only thing that can happen is it rains in, in Dubai, in, in the UAE, in, in the middle of this summer. I think, so I think that prediction... We're okay. We're okay. Yeah, safe. we're okay. Safe. All right, safe. Right. As we get the rain radar out. <laughs> Tonight, the Kings 11 Punjab play the Chennai Super Kings, and the Kings 11 are now 6-7. and seven. Uh, They've won four and lost one in their last five, so last up losers. Uh, but they are on a roll. If they win, they have a reasonably good net run rate and a big win against Chennai would lift them to 14 points and would seriously challenge the challengers and the capitals and also other Team X that we're about to talk about for a spot in the finals. My take is Kings 11 win and win big against Chennai and they're in the box seat at that point. The other game tonight is Rajasthan and Kolkata. Both of those teams are now on 12 points. One of those teams, reign pending, will go to 14 points and will join, for the moment, Royal Challengers, Bangalore and the Delhi Capitals on 14 points. The challenge that the Royals and the Knight Riders have is that their net run rates are both poor. They're both either minus 0.37 for the Royals and minus 0.46 for the KKR side. So one of those teams is going to have to win big, make 200 plus or chase down a score in 13 or 14 overs to give themselves enough of a chance to get their net run rate up into the positive because I think it's going to take a positive net run rate or near enough makes no difference to a positive net run rate to give themselves any chance of making the final. So even if the Royals win or the KKR win, other results don't go their way. They're definitely out, but they also could miss out by virtue of net run rate, which we've talked about throughout the tournament, and it's one of the only predictions that we've actually got right is that net run rate will become very, very important at the conclusion of this fixture. 
And if I remember correctly, Sunrise's Hyderabad were dead and buried the last time we spoke, and now they're no longer dead and buried. No, they're currently sitting in fourth, and and I guess you know, winning you're in. We, you know, you touched on Kings Eleven, winning you're in. It's it's almost like that for those two sides. And Sunrisers are going to be facing Mumbai in the last game of the tournament before we go into that playoff round. And and it's in Sharjah. And there's a chance that Mumbai. You know, they might go, well, we're qualified, we're definitely top two, we're definitely, well, I think they're definitely number one as far as I can tell. Yep. And so, you know, maybe they go, oh, well, you know, maybe we'll give Jasper a break, we'll give a couple other guys a break. They've and- already rested Hardik. They rested Hardik for the last game. So there's no, there's nothing to say that Mumbai won't rest a couple of guys. Sunrisers have every chance of, of winning that game and they've got a positive net run rate. They win and they're in. What a, what a crazy week, though. I mean, you know, going back to, to that last week, we were basically sitting around that table last Sunday going, okay, well, you know, Delhi's in, RCB's in, Mumbai's in, you know, there's just there's just one spot available. And now we, we have another a week on and, you know, everyone's out and it, or everyone's in and everyone's out. And then, you know, suddenly it seems like probably one of Delhi or RCB might miss out. Yeah, and it's interesting because both of those sides have now lost at least three, if not four, games on the trot. So Delhi's lost four in the trot, RCB's lost three in the trot. It's and, and there's staggering. Some, yeah, and there's some real questions about the form of those two sides. They've both got negative net run rates, so a big win for Kings and a big win for Sunrisers will put one of those two teams out of the tournament. So Delhi, Delhi's the big one for me because they looked they looked really unstoppable early on in that tournament. They looked, you know... Rabada was on fire. I mean, he's he's sort of still been on fire mostly, apart, mm. apart from these last two games. But their batting was firing. As soon as Rashad Punt had that injury, it kind of mucked up their whole setup. You know, we've we've talked a lot about the the overseas players and how they fit into your squad. As soon as he was out, it meant they had to to bring in. I'm having an absolute mind blank. Kerry came in, didn't the it? Australian keeper Kerry. Yeah. yeah. So they brought in him. It meant they had to push Hitmeyer out. And suddenly the balance of their side just wasn't didn't work anymore, mm. and they've they've completely fallen away. Four losses in a row. Yes, three three quiet innings from uh, Shikhar Dawan, and he because he's he was one of the reasons that they were winning games. He scored back to back hundreds, although all all that one of them in the losing cause. But now he's back to back ducks. Well, and and he's now had back to back ducks, and and that momentum they've lost all of that momentum. Marcus Stoinis hasn't been hasn't been performing as well as he did earlier in the tournament. Hentmeyer's been a bright spot for them, but it seems that they've kind of lost their mojo. They've lost their juju a little bit, and they've lost that aura of invincibility. And the cha- the, the Royal Challengers, Bangalore, likewise. They go as Coley and de Villiers go, and de Villiers has been up and down as he's been up and down in the order. Coley's been a little bit quiet, and those guys, the young guys that were coming through for them, Padakal and, and the like, haven't had a, a good a good game the last few games, and then all of a sudden they're struggling again. You talk about momentum, and Raj, that's been Raj's big buzzword this whole tournament. You know, it's the teams with momentum. We go, we look at the even the Kings Eleven. The Kings Eleven, you mentioned they they lost their last game against the Royals, but they one that have before that have had five wins on the bounce with mm-hmm. the the Universe boss. Another one of Raj's big predictions that the X Factor player for them has proved a hundred percent. And uh, and now Raj is sporting these glasses. I don't think he's taken them off for the last <laughs> two weeks. But you know. It feels like they are a side that you know, we touched on it last week. If they get in, they're going to be really dangerous. And you, you know, you just said that Rajasthan are a side that their their net run rate doesn't look good for them. But they feel like a side who is now heating up at the right time. Stokes again, another one of our horrible predictions. What is it, what on earth is he opening for? 
He's just won them two games from the opening spot, getting that 100, getting that 50. And now those top four guys that they've got in their overseas players, it's just match winners everywhere. Well, we've, we've touched up on it, but we're obviously going into these last games and it's so close. And there's it's those little 1% things that have made a massive difference. Rishabh Pant now back in the side. So I think he batted four in the last game. Mm. Ben Stokes arriving a little bit late. Oh. And absolutely peaking, maybe a day too late yeah. for, for the Royals. For the Kings, Maxwell tried to hit that six off the last ball to win it. It was within an inch of the boundary, landed just short. And they lose that game by a, of, by a run. another couple that they just choked and, and kind of lost. Yeah, that, they're a side that, that I think, you know, if they don't get in, they're going to look back really. Missed opportunities everywhere. Missed opportunity. Do we want to talk about Mumbai, though? I mean, in the sense that... Uh, They've, They've almost cruised unnoticed into that position, haven't they? Like we 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 knew they were going to be up there. Well, we we, we thought they were going to be up there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they've been doing it without Rohit Sharma. I know. Ishan Kishan has has slotted into their opening position alongside Quinton de Kock, and he has been outstanding for them. Um, they've got probably the best bowler in the tournament in terms of Jasper Bumra. Um, they've got one of the best top four batting lineups, but. They've made every post a winner. Every guy who's come into that side has been outstanding. And I want to give a rap to Trent Bolt. He was exceptional in their last up win. He tore the heart out of the top order. Mm. He has he has wobbled the seam. He's bowled with good control. He's been excellent for them, and he's been a really underrated part of that Mumbai success this season. He's been excellent. The point you make about momentum is key, but also there's the two Cs, fellas. Consistency. And confidence. Oh, I thought you were going to say controlling the controllables. <laughs> no, you look at the teams like Mumbai, uh, they have players who are game winners and have actually turned up, mm. you know. Uh, you look at RCB, you look at Delhi, Coley's had a little bit of form through the middle, but it largely has not turned up. Neither is AB for RCB. Um, but th that's what it comes down to. Even you're talking about Ben Stokes. He's that kind of guy who can win a game all on his own, and he's done it once. And he's sort of peaking towards, but he's probably probably just outside, as you say, Binksy. What what do do we? You know how you were talking about Rajasthan Royals and the KKR. Do you think that they actually have a have a genuine chance, or they're really smokies here? I've I've written off like four teams, and two of them are in the top four at the moment. So what what do I know? I don't think that if you look on the balance of their season either of those sides will look themselves in the mirror and go, we deserve to be in the top four at this point. But having said that, you could make an argument that f that five teams are in that position at the moment. Only really Mumbai deserve to be oh, in that I, I top agree. four. I completely agree with you that actually, as all these other teams have been dropping away, Mumbai, that's what's been so great about Mumbai is that they've just kept going and they haven't, they haven't ever dropped the ball. Even in the games that they've lost, they haven't ever looked like a side that's just not very good. And that's RCB and Delhi. RCB they've really just haven't looked like a good side for quite a while. You know, we, you know, yeah. They, they, they're oh, we're pumping Rajas tires up again. Yeah, it's the we're... difference between your best performance and your worst performance. I see it. But but I mean, yeah. K, I, KKR for for me, I I will be really quite disappointed if they make the top four. I just don't think they've had a good season. Uh, yeah. And you and look think... at those 11s as well. Russell will be missing again. It looks like for KKR. But that Royal side, so that they have an opportunity to either chase down a score 
in double quick time or set something mammoth. When you look at that batting lineup, Stokes, Udapa, Sampson, Steve Smith, Joss Butler, you've got Tawatia coming in at seven, who's had a really good tournament. And Joffre Archer has been using those levers pretty well as well. They, they could make that run rate play, couldn't they? They could, but they have to. Like, they have to make 200 betting first or chase down 160 inside 16 overs to give themselves any chance of qualifying. If they do, they are the most dangerous, I think, of those sides that are on that bubble. Of Sunrisers, Kings and the Royals, if the Royals qualify, I wouldn't want to play the Royals. I wouldn't want to play Ben Stokes in a mood. I wouldn't want to play Butler in a mood. And I wouldn't want to play Smith in a mood. You feel like you could probably handle, if you were the Capitals or the Challengers, you could probably handle Sunrisers. You could probably handle Kings you know, match on match. But one game against the Royals, real dangerous, and I wouldn't want to be relying on on, on keeping Ben Stokes and Joss Butler quiet. The Sunrise is a team we haven't really just touched on. It's been interesting that their sort of resurgence the last couple of games has come with changing the balance of their side and getting Jason Holder in instead of Johnny Besto, bringing in Riddiman Saha, who, you know, remarkably has performed incredibly well at the top of the order, probably better than Besto had been doing up there which is something you wouldn't have predicted at the start of this tournament. You know, I, I I really think there's a big chance that Mumbai do rest a couple of players there. They could sneak in the back door, and, and they've got some match winners as well. Hasn't Jason Holder been a revelation for Sunrisers since he's come into the squad? He came in as an injury replacement, yep. I think. Yep. Um, but he's been outstanding for them with the bat and with the ball, just showing how quality a cricketer Jason Holder is. The change in their team... To, to take Bearstow out was a big gamble to include Jason Holder, but it's paid off handsomely for them. And they've they've got match winners as well. They've got, I think, probably the best spinner, and I'll be I'm happy to be corrected here, but in Rashid Khan, they've probably got the best spinner of those sides that are going to make the playoffs. And on wickets that's starting to look like they're getting slower, we thought that spin would play a part in the tournament. If they get into the playoffs and Rashid Khan takes three for fifteen off a of four that's going to be huge for Sunrisers and a big part of their their success plan. The and those and the finals the finals system is at is at those bigger grounds. This, we we do away with Sharjah for the finals, so you're spot on there. And you know what we're starting to notice in these last few games. If you go look through those scorecards, those top bowlers are really they're almost being left alone. Like you can see that the the Rashid Khan's the um, maybe not Chahal to a certain extent because he kind of tosses it up a bit more and, and risks getting getting hit a bit to, to get wickets. But the archers, the rabatas, in general, they are being seen out for, for 20 runs and they're really trying to target those, extra, you know, the third, fourth, fifth bowlers. So depth depth in your bowling attacks is really going to come into things. Guys, it's prediction time, isn't it? We're going to have to go around the table and make asses of ourselves again. So I'm going to go first. I'm going to say uh, Mumbai definitely make the finals. So, <laughs> well um, um, Baldy, um, I'm going to come to you first. All jokes aside, who, who are your who are your four? Obviously, Mumbai already there. Mumbai are there. I think the challengers beat the Capitals and go through. I think Mumbai rest one player, and Sunrisers sneak in the back door and they win. And I think Kings take care of the Super Kings in the Battle of the Kings, and the Kings get in there as well, and Delhi finished fifth. That's my prediction. So, you, so you're saying the Indians, the Challengers, the Sunrisers... And the Kings. And the Kings. Yep. Okay. Kings 11, not Super Kings. 
just to be clear. Lippe? Uh, yeah, so look, Mumbai's obviously there. We've, we've touched on them. Look, I, I actually think Delhi is a better side than RCB um, from what I've seen in this tournament. I, they're, they're really on a slide and they're going to need one of those they're going to need one of those openers to win them that game. But I feel like RCB's been balancing their squad. They haven't actually found their best squad in this tournament. They've spent the whole time sw- swapping out overseas players. They haven't really figured themselves out and who they are. Mm. And for that reason, I kind of want Delhi to make it because I just think Delhi's a better chance to, to take on those other sides as, as they get on. So I'm going to go with them. I think RCB is going to be the one that, that misses out there. I think you're right that the Sunrisers might just sneak in here because of the way that, that things have gone with uh, with Mumbai. They, they're going to rest those players. You're probably right in that Kings Eleven will beat CSK tonight, but I would love to see Rajasthan make it. I think that would make for the, the most interesting final series if Rajasthan can sneak in the back door somehow. So that means that if Delhi beat the, beat the Challengers and Sunrisers and Kings win, the Challengers are out. Yep. Wow, universe boss, what do you think? <laughs> Kings Eleven, what's, obviously there. What's going? What's going on behind those shades, mate? No, so I think the the Indians make it, uh, and Strong. I th- I think that uh, RCB win the game win the game tonight or in the coming days. It's going to be important. <laughs> I think I think that the it stays fairly similar, but I think the Kings move into top spot. I reckon RCB or Delhi, whichever loses, is still going to have the run rate to take them through because I don't think the Sunrisers are going to beat the Mumbai Indians. Yep. And okay. Kings Eleven will take over them, overtake them. The universe boss. And oh, I mean, are we going to be ridiculous enough to, to, to pick a winner from here? Yeah. So I'm going to, I'm going to say, I'm, I think fairy tales can come true. So I am going to see the Rajasthan Royals. <laughs> get- did, you, did you even pick them in your top four? I, I did. I had the the Royals and I think the Knight Riders. Um, I think going back to that for you know that tournament with Shane Ward involved early doors when they when they won. So I I am going to say that fairy tales are going to come true. Rajasthan Royals are going to have the big mo. They're going to get up in a run rate victory, um, and they're going to yeah they're going to jump their way up the table. Um, and I think the Delhi Capitals take out the the challengers. So you've got Mumbai, Delhi Capitals. Royals, who's your fourth team in the playoffs then? Sunrisers so, or Kings? So I think it's Sunrisers. Okay. Can anyone beat Mumbai in the final? Yes, the Royals. The Royals can beat Mumbai in the final. Wow, that's going to be huge. No, not for, not for me. I mean, Mumbai, yeah. To me, to me, I think it'd actually be a travesty if Mumbai doesn't win this tournament. They've been the best team all tournament. They they deserve to be the top, the champions. But, you know... How do we uh, how do we reconcile with the fact that they don't win in those uh, those odd years? Even numbered or those even numbered years. years. Exactly, you've got to lean into the the conspiracy theory. So, um, but look, certainly all to play for as we go into these final rounds of games. We're all going to look ridiculously stupid at some point, I'm sure, over the course of the next three or four days but we will well, tomorrow when when we've already recorded this and uh, it, well, and it exactly, comes out before well exactly and Raj edits, edits out because he did have seven goes at who his, who his four were going to be he gave every single permutation I think um, and he owns the memory card that this gets edited on I'm going to be right one way or another right <laughs> um but look, it's been a fantastic tournament and a great distraction I think for all of us particularly with that fantasy league going on 
um, in the background as well. We will be back in the middle of the week to try and preview the finals, um, whoever makes those four slots. But I think that about wraps up the podcast for this evening. It's been a pleasure to talk so much cricket from all around the world, both on and off the field. Just a reminder, keep a listen out in your feed for our interview on Bubble Life coming up with Dr. Jamie Barker over the next few days as well. But for tonight, you've been listening to the Top Order podcast. It's been a pleasure speaking to you and we'll see you soon.